so this um, this passage it sort of splits um, into sort of three sections. Uh, the first couple of verses we can think about as uh, revelation. Uh, next couple of verses, twenty one, twenty two, are explanation, and then twenty three to the end is uh, application. What does it mean? For us, that's always the thing that we have to ask when we study scripture is, well, what is God saying to us? We need to understand what's, you know, what was happening at the time. But then we need to think, well, how does this affect me? How does this change my life? Now, you'll remember if you've been following through on these studies in Luke that the disciples have have gradually been working out uh, who Jesus is. If you think back to uh, earlier on in chapter eight. Uh, where Jesus calmed the storm on the lake and the disciples are caught up in this storm. They think they're going to drown and Jesus speaks and calms the storm. Uh, he challenges them in verse 25 of chapter 8. He says, where is your faith? And in fear and amazement, they ask one another, who is this? Who is this? They've been spending time with Jesus. They've been gradually thinking about him. They've been listening to him. They've been watching what he does. And they're gradually trying to work out, well, who exactly is he? And at that point, they don't know. Who, who is this? They're still asking that question. And the time seems to have come where Jesus wants to, he wants, you know, he wants to kind of ask, well, who, you know, who do you think I am? Have they really begun, have they really understood who he is? So he begins with this question. First of all, just to ask them a general question, well, who do the crowds say that I am? What's the word on the street? And obviously the crowds like the disciples, have been spending time around Jesus. This is not a question that is asked into a, you know, into a vacuum. Uh, I'm amazed how often people reject Jesus and reject the Christian faith without ever asking any questions. They simply make assumptions and think, well, Jesus, you know, he never lived. Uh, or he's just a fairy tale. Or, well, maybe he was a good teacher. I like that thing that he said about love your neighbours as you love yourself. He, you know, he was a good teacher. Or maybe uh, people make all sorts of assumptions about Jesus without ever actually discovering the information, which is why um, the Alpha course is such a great thing to do if you've never done Alpha. Get the information before you make a decision about who he is. So the crowds around Jesus, they have information. They've listened to him. They've, they're watching what he does. And they're starting to draw conclusions about who he is. Verse 19, this is the, the things that the disciples have been picking up. Well, they say, well, some say John the Baptist. Uh, others say Elijah. And still others, that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. So the crowd are kind of, they understanding there's something, there's something very special about Jesus. There's something very significant about him. He's saying things that are unusual and he's doing things that are unusual. He, he obviously has something of uh, the hand of God upon his life and is caught up in some way in God's purposes. But the conclusions that they're drawing are, well, he's another in a long line of prophets, a long line of forerunners. He's, he's another one in a long line of those who have come to say, well, get ready because God is preparing to do something significant. That's the word on the street. Uh, Jesus has something of the divine about him because of what he's saying and doing. But that's as far as it goes. The, the, the word on the street is, well, he's another one come to prepare the way. Uh, but then Jesus asked the disciples. And this is, 
you know, this is the most important question, if you like, the most important question of all. This is the most significant question that any of us will ever have to give an answer to. And the answer that we give to it will determine our eternal destiny. It's the most important question that anybody is ever asked. Who do you think Jesus is? And the answer that we give will determine our eternal destiny. Eternal life or eternal death. It is as significant as that. And Jesus says to them, well, what about you? Who do you say I am? And like the crowd, they, you know, they're party to the same information. They've listened to Jesus and they've watched him and they've drawn, uh, begun to draw conclusions about who he is. But there's something significant that happens here because this is not simply about information. There's also something about divine revelation because there are lots of people who, who do the research. There are still lots of people who read the Gospels, who read about who Jesus was. They read about the things that he said and did, but the penny still doesn't drop. There's something significant that happens here in Peter's answer because he says, well, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ of God. You are the anointed one. And when you read uh, Matthew's account of this episode, uh, we read this. Uh, Simon Peter answered. This is Matthew chapter 16, verse 16. Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. So there are two things that, that come together when Peter, when anybody discovers the reality of Jesus as the Messiah. There's the information. Well, I can read about what he said, read about what he did. But then there is a revelation from God for us to gain that real understanding that uh, he is the Christ. He is God's anointed one. Remember, the crowd think that he's another forerunner. He's another prophet. He's another one who's come to prepare the way. Peter is the first one to have this revelation. No, you're not another forerunner. You're not another prophet. You're the one that we've been waiting for. And it's hard to, it's hard to overestimate how significant this moment is in the history of the world. This is the most extraordinary moment. Remember, the Jews have been waiting for hundreds of years for this moment. It's the thing that they have been longing for. You know, imagine if you were, uh, you know, if you were living in uh, in Europe in the, you know, in the early 1940s at the beginning of the Second World War, and suddenly you lose your freedom, and suddenly you are being oppressed, and suddenly you are living under occupation. And you long for freedom. You long for liberation. Uh, you begin to hear whispers that possibly that liberation might be coming. Uh, you begin to hear planes flying overhead, particularly at night. You begin to hear whispers that uh, an invasion is beginning to be planned that will bring about your liberation. And, and increasingly, as the months and years go by and as these planes go over, you begin to hope, well, maybe... Maybe this is the beginning of our liberation. Maybe these planes coming over are the foreigners. Maybe they, this is an indication that our liberation is to come. And time after time after time, you're disappointed because that moment doesn't come. And then one morning, you 
uh, one night you hear more and more planes coming over. And then if you live on the, the coast of Normandy, you wake up and you look out to sea and you see the greatest armada that has ever been assembled in the history of the world. And you realise today is the day. This is the moment when liberation is beginning. This is the beginning of our freedom. Well, that's the moment when Peter looks at Jesus and says, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. There's all the, all the, the years of preparation. He suddenly realises this is the culmination of them. You are the one who has come to bring freedom. Jesus is not just a good teacher. He doesn't just set us a good example for how we should live our lives. He's not just a great miracle worker. He is the anointed one of God. He is the saviour. He's the one who forgives our sins and sets us free for eternal life. So that's revelation. The realisation of who Jesus truly is. But then immediately... Uh, There needs to be some explanation. It's almost strange that verse 21, uh, Peter's had this great revelation and immediately Jesus warns them not to tell anyone. He warned them strictly, don't tell anyone. And he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law. He must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Why does Jesus strictly warn them not to tell this to anyone? Uh, well, a couple of reasons. Uh, partly, they, um, uh, the Romans they don't take kindly to new kings. Uh, and the Romans don't take kindly to rebellions and uprising. And immediately, Peter says, you're the Messiah, the Christ of God. There's a whole set of expectations that the Jews had that would have resulted in rebellion and uprising. And the last thing Jesus needs at this moment in time is people thinking... Uh, you know, we can have a rebellion. Uh, when Jesus was about 11 years old, there was a rebellion led by uh, Judas the Galilean. And it centred on a town called Sepphoris, which was just four miles from Nazareth, where Jesus grew up. And Jesus the Galilean led a rebellion, and they raided the Roman armoury at Sepphoris. And the Roman response was swift and brutal. Uh, Sepphoris was burnt to the ground, Uh, The inhabitants were sold into slavery and 2,000 of the rebels were crucified. And they were crucified along either side of the road. So you can imagine a 1,000 people crucified on either side of the road. Uh, The Romans don't like rebels. Uh, They don't like usurping kings. And immediately Peter says, well, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah. Everything that the Jews are expecting about the Messiah is that he's going to lead a rebellion. He's going to raise up an army. He's going to kick the Romans out. He's going to, God is going to punish the Gentile nations who have oppressed the Jews. And uh, Israel is going to be an independent nation. And Jesus has to, uh, has to explain that that is not the kind of Messiah he's going to be. Uh, Jesus does not save us by marching in with an army and immediately defeating our enemies. He follows a different path. The path That was laid out in Isaiah 53 that I read at the start of our service. It's all there in the Old Testament. But by the time of Jesus, uh, the way it has been defined for the Jews is that he's going to be a military messiah. He's going to defeat the Romans. He's going to establish an independent nation. And Jesus has to say immediately, no, that's not how it's going to be. And he adopts for himself 
This title, the Son of Man, is a title that we come across in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. And it describes a divine figure who is given great authority. But Jesus says the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected, be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. So it's a path that does end in great victory. An ultimate victory. Jesus cannot be defeated. The Messiah cannot be defeated. But before he gets to that victory, it's going to involve suffering and rejection and death. And the great, the great tragedy, the great tragedy is that it is the, the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law who were, they were kind of the guardians of truth. If you like, they were the guardians of the gateway for the Messiah. They were the ones who were supposed to be looking out for the coming of the Messiah. And yet they completely miss it because he doesn't look like what they're expecting. It's a tragedy that they miss it and they're the ones who reject him and hand him over to be killed. This is the path that Jesus takes. It's a path of suffering, rejection and death. But he's raised to life. He cannot be defeated. That's the, it's kind of, it's the glory of the gospel and it's the glory of the Christian life. It's that we cannot be defeated once we put our trust in Jesus Christ. It's not that everything will be rosy in the garden. It's not that we will live a trouble-free life. Quite the opposite. But it's the guarantee of victory because this is the path that Jesus takes. He's not the kingly Messiah in the terms that the Jews were expecting. He doesn't march into Jerusalem at the head of an army and and set them free in that way. Uh, And for the for the disciples, they just they just can't get their head around this at all. Even on Good Friday, uh, when Jesus dies, they don't understand. It's it's a disaster at the time. But this is the path that Jesus is taking to suffer, to be rejected, to be killed, but then to be raised to life. So Jesus, having Peter having had this revelation of who Jesus truly is, Jesus then immediately has to start to explain what kind of Messiah he has come to be. But then the third part from verse 23, the application, well, what does this, what does this mean for us? If this is the life that Jesus lived, if this is the path that he followed, well, what should we expect when we live our own lives and choose to follow him? Well, Jesus immediately goes on and basically says, well, essentially, if this was good enough for me, it's good enough for you. He said to them all, if anyone would come after me, they must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose their very selves. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I tell you the truth, some of you are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Uh, what should our expectations be if we choose to follow Jesus Christ? Well, here's the thing. If you choose to follow Jesus Don't choose to follow him because you think that will be the path to an easy life. Don't choose to follow Jesus because all your problems will suddenly be solved. Don't choose to follow Jesus because that will lead to a life in which there will not be any suffering. 
That's not what Jesus said. The reason we choose to follow Jesus is because he is who he said he is. He is the son of God. He's the saviour. He's the Messiah. He is the only path to eternal life. That's why we follow Jesus. Not because if we follow Jesus Christ, everything will be rosy in the garden. We will be rich and prosperous and have everything that we ever want. No, Jesus said to his disciples in John's gospel, he says, remember, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. If Jesus suffers, is rejected and is led to death, well, don't be surprised if that's your experience when you choose to follow me. The reality for many Christians around the world throughout history is that's what has happened. That is what is happening. Even today, as we're meeting to worship this morning, there are those who are suffering and being rejected and being led to death because they love the Lord Jesus Christ. In our own society, in our own nation, it is increasingly difficult to own the name of Jesus Christ. It invites ridicule, it invites mockery, and increasingly it invites rejection. That's the deal. Don't be surprised that that's what happens. I remember, you know, sometimes people speak of, uh, you know, when there's, when there's a, a, a continual difficulty in life, this kind of hardship that you're constantly having to put up with, there's an irritation, and people say, oh, well, we all have our cross to bear, don't we? That's not what you're bearing your cross daily means, putting up with an irritation. Uh, putting, uh, you know... Um, Denying yourself and taking up your cross daily, it's the, it's death. It's death to self. It's dying to yourself. It's, well, I'm no longer going to live for myself. I'm going to live for Jesus. Whatever that means, whatever that may bring on me in this life, that's what I'm going to take. Uh, Paul, who uh, had a revelation of, of Jesus on the road to Damascus and then follows Jesus in his letter to the church in Galatia, chapter 2, verse 20. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live by faith. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Why did Paul follow Jesus? Because he realised that Jesus loved him and had gave himself for him. And Paul understands that to follow Jesus means to die to self. I, myself, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. That's what it means to follow Christ, to go after him. We deny ourselves and take up our cross daily. And it may cost us our very lives. But, verse, um, verse 26, Jesus goes on, he says, If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and the glory of um, the Father and his holy angels. And he says, I tell you the truth, some standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. It may cost us everything, but we gain everything. Uh, later on in uh, Luke chapter 1, uh, Jesus speaks to his disciples and he says this, Luke chapter 1 verse 17. He says, everyone will hate you because of me. 
That's the expectation that he gives to his followers. He says, everyone will hate you. The world will hate you because the world hates me. But not a hair of your head will perish. By standing firm, you will gain life. What an extraordinary, what an extraordinary promise that Jesus makes to us. He says, you know, you will be, you know, you'll be sent to court, you'll be, um, you'll be rejected, you'll suffer, you'll be put to death. Everyone will hate you, but not a hair of your head will perish. That's the ultimate promise. You see, that's, that's resurrection. That's the promise of resurrection. That in this life, it may appear that we lose everything, but in Christ, not of a hair of our head will perish. We will gain everything. That's resurrection. That's what Jesus promised. You see, Good Friday looked like a disaster. Good Friday looked like Jesus had lost. It looked like he had been defeated, but actually it was the beginning of his greatest triumph. And in our lives, we will suffer and lose all kinds of things. We may lose our livelihood, we may lose our health, we may, we may lose everything. And it may look like we've been utterly defeated. But the promise of resurrection and the promise of Jesus is that not a hair of your head will perish. In Christ, we have eternal life. Uh, verse 19 of chapter 21, by standing firm, you will gain life. By standing firm, you will gain life. That's the gospel. That's what following Jesus is all about. It's not the, uh, the path to an easy life. It's the path to eternal life, which is way better and way more important. And the decision that we have to make is a decision, firstly, about who we think Jesus is. That question. That's the most important question. Who do you say I am? Jesus asks. Who do you say I am? And if by the revelation of God we come to the conclusion that he is the son of God, the saviour of the world, not just the saviour of the world, our saviour who died in our place for our sins. And if we respond by deciding to put our trust in him and follow him and find eternal life, then we are on the path to a glorious future. We're on the path to eternal life. But it may be a path that on the way takes us to suffering and rejection and death. But the promise is resurrection. So what's our decision? What's your decision? Make whatever decision you make about Jesus on the basis of information and not guesswork. Not on assumption, but on the basis of who he said he was. Look at the evidence for the Gospels, the evidence for who Jesus claimed to be. Make your decision on that basis. And it may well be that on the basis of that, you discover that he's your saviour, that he loves you, that he died for you, that he rose to life for you, and that by following him, you may discover eternal life for yourselves. Let's take a, a moment to pray together, a moment or two to respond. Maybe that you're, uh, you're here, you're, you're watching this online and you, you know that Jesus is your saviour. 
And if so, it's a moment for, just a moment of thanksgiving and a moment to rejoice. Or maybe you're still asking questions and maybe you're not sure. And I'm going to pray that in these moments, Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, would speak to your hearts, to your minds. And would give you revelation, as he gave to Peter, about who he is. If you're watching because you're, you're asking questions about life, your soul is hungry, then I'm going to pray that God would speak to you.